Welcome to Arc Reactions Podcast. My name is John. And I'm Larissa. And spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. This is episode 145 covering episode three of The Mandalorian. If you're new to the show, we'll be talking about things we didn't like, followed by things we did like, and finally giving the episode an overall rating. So let's dive right into the thing that we didn't like from this episode. So in the very beginning, obviously he's... uh taking the child back to where he needs to deliver the bounty. Um, And once he arrives on this planet, uh, he just walks through the town with the bassinet open, almost as if he's showing off the kid or just, you know, just not very careful is what it seemed like to me. And what I, I, there's a couple things there. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you that his lack of caution uh, led to several things in this episode. The the first being like, yeah, now everyone knows you've arrived with the child. Like, it's not a secret. You know, you you could have like closed the bassinet and just had it follow you. And I don't know what people would have thought, but they wouldn't know like, oh, you have a baby Yoda with you. Um, and and then two later on in the episode, when after he's infiltrated and and taken the baby Yoda back. Then he just tries to walk from there to his ship directly down the road. And it's like, if you put any uh, effort effort into being covert about it, you might have made it to your ship and bypassed the whole fight in the street. Right. Because when he was infiltrating the place to get the baby Yoda back, he was very, you know, sneaky and uh, roguish um, in trying to get into the place and then you know fight off the the stormtroopers um and then just same as when he walked into the town just kind of walked out like like everyone was gonna let him even though like i guess in the beginning remember when uh they were like everyone's mad at you yeah after he turned in the bounty and he goes to grief to get a new job yeah he's like everyone's jealous of you mando like so many people had this job and you're the only one who pulled it off. And yeah, the first part, I I think we have a bit of an answer as to why he did that from the first episode. Because when he and IG unit converge on the compound where Baby Yoda is being held, uh, he says, I'm a member of the guild. You know, this is, this is my bounty. And that is supposed to make another member of the guild back off and you know not interfere so the fact that he has the bounty and he's taking it back to turn it in um i he might may believe that oh i have achieved getting the bounty so now no one is going to bother me uh, while i go turn this in because that's the way of the guild if they're part of the guild yeah right and in this show we haven't seen any bounty hunters outside of the guild um i'm assuming they exist though just as in anything there's black market this black market that like i'm assuming there are non-guild bounty hunters who don't follow the code and and can will steal bounties from guild members and whatnot so yeah i i still think he should have been a little more cautious but i think that might be the explanation for the beginning portion of it right and then i think in episode one the reason behind that or that he was able to still assist in the beginning or go after the bounty was because the ID unit didn't actually have the bounty. And I think he made that a point like, oh, well, you don't have it yet. So I, I it's fair game still. I, I think that's what happened in episode one. Yeah. And then they came to an agreement to split 
the either the the finder's fee or the reputation or or something like i don't remember exactly what but they came to an agreement to both together go get the bounty um and yeah i think you're absolutely right until someone has it in their possession yeah you can go after the same bounty it's whoever gets there first right so i think yeah with this episode walking through the town he already acquired the bounty so everyone is hands off if you're part of the guild so i think we're spot on on that part um the other kind of thing that came up for me was who turned the fob back on um I'm thinking it's probably for the kid and not for the Mandalorian because everybody's fob in the guild um, bar area, it lit up, you know, like a Christmas tree. So I'm assuming that was for the kid. But yeah, I'm not sure who. Yeah, because they got to be programmed somehow. And since we were not shown that they got reprogrammed, I'm assuming because he stole the kid, someone managed to turn it back on. I don't really know how that happened but um that i feel like that's kind of a a minor nitpick it gets you it's a it gets the story going to where it needs to go and i'm okay with that yeah i it was just one of a like we just didn't see who but i mean you know with the fight with the stormtroopers obviously somebody was alerted i'm assuming it was the guy that um you know well right before that fight he eavesdrops on the client and the doctor using um, some of his tech. I don't know if it was attached to the gun or, or, or what, Um, but that might be the client was still around. Like he then went immediately to go infiltrate. So uh, we can assume that even though we didn't see the client during that fight, that he was around and aware that, you know, I, my people just got killed. So I, and the baby's gone now. So I'm going to turn this back on so I can get it back. Um, you ready to move on to good points? Yeah, I think so. I, this for me, it's just stuff that I'm interested in, I think. So like, I was just vin- very interested in the tech. So like the scanner when they're, um, when the doctor is kind of looking at the child when, uh, the Mandalorian first brings him in, I was just like, Oh, that's, that's like kind of cool. It's, you know, like one of those, uh, thermometers that just scans your head, but this looks like maybe a more fancy technologically advanced version of that where you know maybe it scans more than than that it's kind of the star wars version of a tricorder because you know in star trek that's their like handheld scanner deal and yeah i kind of i was kind of oh that's kind of neat um the other thing with the doctor that i I had to read this online because i I didn't recognize it but um, apparently his patch on his shoulder is for the cloning division so i don't know if it's from camino where the um, the clone troopers were made or a different cloning thing but the speculation is that this is a clone of Yoda um, but we don't know yet but the fact that that doctor was from the cloning division makes me think that there's something with cloning involved with this the, the, the child so or maybe even that they want to see if they can also make more clones from that clone i don't know that's the other yeah that's the other possibility is this is just a member of yoda's species which as of yet has still not been named um and yeah they're trying they want to clone him and make more force sensitive beings i know that's come up in uh several not the movies or tv shows to to my knowledge but in several of the books or comics uh that you know, the emperor cloned himself in, in famously in the dark, dark empire comic that is no longer canon, but they can always pull from those. So 
it may be that they may be trying to clone a force sensitive and get a force sensitive, which is famously very difficult to do. Most of the time when they clone a force sensitive, the the clone does not come out force sensitive in, in the past. So yeah, we don't know what the doctor's involvement is other than he is very insistent that the child be kept alive and the client is less so. He seemed from that eavesdrop conversation to want information out of the child. We're not told what that information is um, and and who it's going to. But yeah, the, the doctor seems... He seems uh, on the the more good side while still being allied with what presumably are the bad guys in, in this story because he's very concerned about the child. Uh, when the Mandalorian comes in to take the child, he's very concerned that he doesn't kill the child, not even himself. And so I'm curious where that goes. Yeah, I was very interested in that part too. Um, the information I was assuming was just vitals and like information on the child not necessarily information that the child could communicate to them because obviously it's it's a kid so not sure how yeah it doesn't really communicate yet it kind of just coos and cries um which is another thing i don't remember if we mentioned that in earlier episodes a 50 year old child like a baby for 50 years like I, I don't I don't want any, no <laughs> I I prefer the human way where after about a year or two they can at least talk. Also, what does it look like when it's like twenty five years old or like is it just smaller smaller versions or like that'd be kind of or for me something interesting. Yeah, because what would you say this is like equivalent to a year year and a half? Like it can walk. I feel like yeah, it's like before two years old because it's not talking human life. Yeah. But it's walking. It's walking. It can kind of like do most things on its own in terms of like, well, you know, eating and walking and and it's interested in in things and wants to play. Um, But yeah, like not communicative talking. So yeah, I'm curious where they're going with that. Um, Hopefully we'll get more as the series progresses or I'm assuming this will get a season two if it goes if this part of the story goes on to season two, maybe we'll get more in season two as as well. Uh, my first good point that I wanted to highlight is, and we kind of mentioned a little bit, the infiltration scene. That was, to me, the, the best choreographed, uh, planned out uh, on the Man- Mandalorian's part. Like, he wasn't just in a, a gunfight or, um, you know, a fist fight or a knife fight, as we saw earlier in the episode. Like, he was strategically opening doors, blowing out walls, hiding behind crates, letting the the couple stormtroopers at a time get into a vulnerable state and then ambushing them and quickly killing them and moving on to the next one. And then when he did get a hold of the child, then he had to do all that one-handed. I, I really enjoyed the one-armed or one-handed combat that that was displayed throughout this that you know he he only used one pistol but then sometimes he used the the bigger weapon that he had slung around his back um i enjoyed all the different things that he pulled out you know the the grappling hook um the flamethrower the the electric shock yeah the the cattle prod type thing yeah Mm -hmm. and and then of course at the end of that scene is when we get to see the whistling birds which were set up earlier when he turned in the bounty and got the Beskar. They finished out his armor. So everything but that one shoulder piece and the helmet he got created. And then 
since he chose not to have a signet, which I know we'll talk more about that later, um, she was like, oh, I will make you whistling birds. They're very useful against a group of people. You know, be uh, mindful of when you use them kind of kind of thing. they're very rare. Right. Uh, and so to get th- that, that point where he's surrounded and he needs to get out and he uses them was very well done i thought that was that was a really cool scene i also just like how it's activated like it was literally like a wrist flick downwards and then it, like enabled it which i just thought was really cool even uh the the way it comes out and shows that it's like activated kind of like in a pyramid tier that kind of just goes out i i just thought it was really cool yeah i mean the that's that's what makes one of the things that makes the uh, Mandalorian armor so cool is it's basically a, a hidden treasure trove of weapons. Like it's the same thing with the wrist cable. Um, it it's like a flick of the wrist. It's not like I have to go tap the button on that uh, uh, gauntlet to make the wrist cable come out. Like everything is designed to be useful in a pinch. Now. I wonder how many times, if this were reality, you would accidentally set any of those off by doing the movement not intentionally. Right. Like you have to be very mindful of, I guess, maybe what hand or wrist or arm movements you're making so that you don't accidentally shoot something out. Or <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So... That was that was my first good point was that particular fight scene of the of the three we got in this episode. I, I enjoyed that one the best because it's the opposite of what I said my bad point was. Like he was very calculated, very careful, you know, uh, versus, you know, just going out and getting surrounded, which happened immediately thereafter. Um, but I also do want to talk about that fight scene if if you want to move on to that one where the whole Mandalorian clan gave up their uh secret uh position which albeit he would walk down the street not trying to be secretive and just go into a door you think someone would have figured out what was going on by then uh but anyway their secret position they give that up to assist him and it's a little unclear how they knew other than there was a firefight going on outside right that's how I, i was wondering like aside from maybe all the gunfire and commotion going on above you know on the street level how did they know that he was in trouble and to come help i'm just taking it as they there was a gunfight outside and they've probably got some sort of like security camera or something so they could see what was going on they they i'm sure they know who the bounty hunters are and they recognize all the bounty hunters out there firing at someone they can kind of assume from the previous conversations that maybe it's our guy who did something he wasn't supposed to and now is being attacked so we should go help him you know and and then just to watch them all fly up with their jetpacks descend and you know open fire and and clear away for the the mandalorian to get back to his ship i i thought that was very well timed expertly done and the music was you know, properly triumphant and, you know, uh, uplifting. And overall, it just worked really great. I really enjoyed that. And I really liked that we got to see a few more uh, pieces of weaponry. So, like, there was one Mandalorian that was, like, dual-wielding pistols. We had one that looked more like a machine gun or just a... Yeah, the guy that... Blaster. 
Yeah, the guy that that uh, the Mandalorian fought with gets into a fight with in right. the in the enclave earlier um, is the one that had that repeating blaster. Um, yeah, and that's like uh, generally set on a tripod type weapon, but obviously he's big and strong, so he can manage to carry it himself. And yeah, that was it's like that Arnold moment where he in some of his movies where he pulls the the helicopter mounted machine gun off and just holds it and starts firing. Yeah, that, that was cool. So one of those. And then, of course, the jetpacks, because um, obviously he doesn't have one. So because he mentions, oh, I got to get one of those when uh, the other Mandalorian kind of salutes him while he's flying off in uh, in the ship. Uh, so we got to see that, which was also pretty cool. Yeah. So this is the still probably the only Mandalorian we've seen who doesn't have a jetpack because Django had a jetpack, Boba had a jetpack. Seems like everyone else in the Enclave had a jetpack. So yeah, he doesn't have one yet. Uh, we'll have to see. It, it's almost like a video game. You know, he got his shoulder pad he has first. to level up. You know, he started with the helmet uh, before before we started watching. Then he got the shoulder pad. Now he's got the rest of the matching armor suit. Now he needs, yeah, the jetpack and he's already got a cool he's gun. He's got his sidekick. A little kid with him and <laughs> yeah his healer <laughs> yep. yeah so i'm sure at some point in the series we'll see him get a get a jetpack but yeah that, that was that was pretty cool and I, I noticed in the credits that this episode was written by john favreau who did the first iron man because that mandalorian flying next to the ship and saluting and then you know falling back reminded me a lot of that iron man suit and how it was flying i'm like that looks a lot like Iron Man. And yeah, John Favreau, who did, directed the first Iron Man, wrote this. So I'm sure there was a little bit of of uh, that in Coordination there. with that scene, yeah. Um, the only other thing that I think I wanted to bring up was I'm still interested in knowing more about the Great Purge because um, they brought that up again. Um, I think they brought it up first in the first or second, probably the first episode, um, and just curious again about more of what happened there um we also saw the flashbacks uh from when uh he looks like maybe he's running away as a kid with his mom and dad probably um and then they're hiding him in kind of this little underground it's it's kind of like a tornado shelter yeah yeah, we don't really have those here where we live, but I know in the Midwest, like every house has something like that, which is just kind of a small room underground so that if a tornado does pass through, hopefully you're you're safe, even if your house isn't. Um, and yeah, that scene, um, it gives us a little more insight into maybe his strange reaction to IG in, in the first episode, because he seems very against droids. And obviously from that flashback, we can see that his parents were killed during what looked like the Clone Wars by battle droids or super battle droids or some other uh, faction of the droid army. The one that opens the door that we see at the end of the flashback is a super battle droid. So that to me speaks to why he may have this hatred towards droids. And in episode one, he also um, to get back to his ship, the speeder, he tells the I forget what it was, but um, no droid. Right, right. That That's what I was thinking of. Not. Well, I mean, I guess he did have somewhat of a reaction with IG as well. But yeah, that line is what I was thinking of. And yeah, that wasn't in the IG portion. You're, you're right. Um, yeah, so he's got something against droids. And this flashback is maybe... Maybe we'll get some more of that and fill in a little more. But I, I think that might be where it, where it comes from. 
Um, oh, and then actually one other thing about uh, foregoing the signet of the Mudhorn when he's getting his um, armor made by the by the blacksmith. Um, I was very interested in the part where he he admits that oh no it wasn't a noble kill um, uh, for the Mudhorn and that he had help from an enemy and that the enemy didn't know it was his enemy so um that just kind of reminded me a little bit of uh maybe japanese culture or like some kind of samurai code um i'm i'm not familiar with it enough but something about that and the kind of the integrity and the moral compass that he has reminded me of that yeah th- this episode definitely seems like a turning point in this in the series um we'll have to see a- as it goes forward I mean, obviously, he's on the run, so that's going to be a turning point. But as far as, like, he seems to be getting disillusioned with his job. Like, he can't reconcile um, the Mandalorian clan code uh, with what he is asked to do as a bounty hunter. And so it might be that him turning away from the life of bounty hunting to something else um, going forward. And, yeah, I I saw the same things you did, but I, I couldn't really put a finger on it as far as like why why it would be that way other than you know maybe a personal moral code but that made me wonder because he seemed to have no qualms with put bringing in that guy in the first episode who seemed relatively innocent maybe like he had an unpaid debt or or something like he didn't seem like a threat at all you know and and I know like that job we're shown at the beginning is to show how difficult it is for the bounty hunter profession there's not a lot of good jobs out there to obtain but that seems like something that would gnaw at him if he's got that you know personal code of i only want to go after bad people you know and and bring them to justice and that wasn't what was going on in that first one and that wasn't what was going on here and and you know maybe it took multiple ones of those to get him to that point and now you know we'll see that change and then part of this one is that it's a child and then you can see throughout almost pretty much this entire episode how how much of a struggle it is um he's been thinking about it you know when he's on the ship um then when he's finally at the drop-off point and he's getting paid and uh the kid is getting you know kind of carted off um with the doctor person and it's kind of cooing and like looking back at him and he's looking at the kid and um that's when he asks about um, you know what's going to happen with it and that's when you hear about you know that's against the guild code um, and then also when he goes back to the guild bar area whatever that place is you can see he asks again because it's gnawing at him and then you know all the way back until when he gets to his ship and he's about to leave he he puts that the ball handle back on top of the um, the gear shift or whatever that is and and that's when he, you know, he has more flashbacks and then he's just like, he, he even starts up his ship and then he's like, nope, he turns it all down and, and goes back. And I think we were kind of talking about how maybe his upbringing as a foundling might also have to do with that because the Mandalore way, or at least right now, is they're they're bringing in foundlings, these these innocent and helpless children. So maybe kind of triggered something in him that his bounty was this kid but that kid is also innocent 
yeah, it, it may be one of those things where like this could have been me, you know, uh, 30, 40 years ago, this could have been me, you know, like I'm not necessarily valuable at that age. Like, like people think this, this child is, but you know, if I had been, you know, scooped up by a bounty hunter and taken somewhere, you know, things could have been a lot different for me. And so, yeah, I, I think a lot that does have a lot to do with the, the reason he broke the bounty hunter code and now will essentially be an exile of the guild, you know, and not, Uh, given any jobs i'm sure and probably hunted by other bounty hunters he'd reached his point where he's like no the mandalorian if this is the case this is this is my reading into it the mandalorian way is more important to me than this job you know and and i don't want something bad to happen to this kid who could be a a foundling could be a mandalorian you, you know if given the chance you know, and and have the life that that I have that I value. You know, that that is important to me. So yeah, I think that that is a lot to do with with the decisions that he made in this episode, and will shape you know the rest of the series going forward. Um, I don't have anything more. Do you? No, I think that's pretty much it for me too. Okay, so uh, why don't you give us uh, your overall recap and rating of this particular episode of The Mandalorian? So I really enjoyed this episode. There is a handful, maybe three uh, fight scenes throughout the episode. And I always enjoy the action of those. And I I think they're very well coordinated. This one had a variety of weaponry. And I I really like the way they showcase the the different um, armor and the different uh, guns and weapons that the Mandalorians have. Um, And then... Of course, Baby Yoda and the the part where you know he's he's always trying to grab the the handle, the ball in the ship. I think that's adorable. Um, so overall, I, I'm going to give this nine out of ten jetpacks. Um, I, I'm in agreement with you. Like this, this was a very well done episode. And while we had the one full on bad point about the Mandalorian and and not being cautious enough, um. I, I'll I'll say maybe we'll see that change throughout the series, you know, especially if he's constantly on the run and has to be looking out all the time, you know, maybe he'll, he'll become more cautious. So uh, this may be a turning point and that may turn into a good point later on. Um, and the other one was just kind of a nitpick about the fob. So overall, I'd say this is a n- nearly perfect episode. Like the, the action scenes were great. Um, the first one, yeah, I, I'm not really into that whole like, oh, I'm going to rough you up and knife fight kind of thing. But it built to a point. It gave us more information about the uh, Mandalorian code and introduced us to this is the way, uh, which I don't think we got before this episode, um, which they said a lot. Uh, and then, of course, the infiltration scene I, I said in in the episode was my favorite portion of of this one. Just the, the like you said, the variety of weaponry that he used. He used everything he had in that you know in that fight, and then also in the the street fight because he, he used the rifle in the street fight. So in this episode, we got to see everything the Mandalorian had at his disposal, which is always cool. You know, it makes me feel like a video game. You know, it's like oh, I got to use all my powers, you know, or all my abilities. Um, and, and then, yeah, the, that, the, the Mandalorians coming to his rescue and giving up their 
safe place on this planet and have to go find another one to support their own like just an incredibly well done episode i am equal to you in giving nine uh, whistling birds out of 10 to this episode um what did you think uh have you been watching the mandalorian are you enjoying it like we are you can shoot us an email at arcreactionspod at gmail.com you can uh, jetpack over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast, and leave a like and a comment. You can tweet at us. Don't send us a whistling bird, though. Just a tweet. At uh, Pod, And you can tumble our way at arcreactionspodcast.tumblr.com. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and more. And once again, a big thank you to Packy for our intro and outro music. And join us next month, August 2nd, for The Mandalorian Episodes 4 and 5. This has been a Cat Interrupted Production.